This Chad and Cheese Cult Brand Podcast is supported by Smashfly, recruiting technology built for the talent lifecycle, and big believers in building relationships with brands, not jobs. Let Smashfly help tell your story and keep relationships at the heart of your CRM. For more information, visit smashfly.com today. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Boom! <laughs> Yara. We're uh, Joel Cheeseman free today, kids. Uh, welcome, welcome to the Chad and Cheese Less Cheese podcast. Uh, Joel is taking a short sabbatical, and we have today on the show Chris Nealon. And uh, I'm not sure are, are you are you coming on as a guest, or are you going to start the the, the co hosting? What, what are we doing today, Chris? This is my audition tape, and uh, I'd like all the listeners to write in to sort of uh, upseat uh, the cheese man. Okay, so it, quick overview: if you haven't listened to the Colt Brand podcast, I don't know why. What the hell? We have a whole series of them. Go to chadcheese.com, click on Colt Brand. A lot of good shit there. Um, but we are talking to to Chris. Nealon, CEO, co-founder. What, what's your actual title? You have so many, com- they have Colt Brand, The Gathering, Communo. What don't you do? <laughs> yeah, that would be a shorter list. No, it feels like uh, we got our fingers in a, in a lot of pies here. I, I like to use the word czar, but not many people know how to spell it correctly. <laughs> we just stick with CEO or co-founder most of the time. But I, I run a marketing services firm that provides uh, advisory services for brands that are seeking to have hyper levels of audience engagement. And those audiences are most often customers and staff. Mm -hmm. We host this event called The Gathering, which is really just a showcase of the world's most adored brands. And then uh, uh, my business partner, fortunately, um, is is here to help and carries a lot of the load. And we have another company called Communo, which is a talent management platform really for the gig economy and allowing people to have what we call radically agile workforces uh, by having real-time access to the talent they need in the creative, digital, and marketing space. Yeah, we call that a marketplace, Chris. Yeah, in the, in the employment side, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Noted. So last year, we met at the base of the Canadian Rockies. This sounds like a love story. Uh, in Banff during the gathering of cult brands uh, and became fast friends. But I guess, you know, what what are you doing here on the Chad and Cheese podcast? That's that's the big question. Well, I think that we've uh, we, we have a common enemy which is the uh, inappropriate or lackluster approach with which most brands are treating talent management, uh, what we affectionately call talent mismanagement. And uh, I think we just discovered that uh, the journey that you had been on, I think by trying to, whatever you say, hit the HR industry in the mouth or kick them in the balls or there's something. Wherever it hurts. Uh, But so you've been going at it from the HR angle and we've always been going at it from a, um, you know, the marketing side and the redeployment of uh, media dollars and creative dollars and using a lot of that talent and those resources inward. And uh, we call it cult brands inspire from within. And uh, so I think we just realized, wow, we're we're cut from the same cloth, but we have different influence over different audiences. If we could, uh, you know, put our powers together, that would be 
chocolate and peanut butter, and that's pretty delicious. Always. So what exactly is a cult brand? Because we know there are big brands that are out there and, and you know, and, and you hate that I do this, but I hate Amazon. Uh, Amazon is a huge organization and they're making money off of the people's backs. And those people are having shitty experiences uh, and which we actually hear in the press all the time. So, you know, even though it's a big company, it's got a big brand, it's making a shit ton of cash. That to me is not a cult brand. So what really signifies a cult brand? Yeah, cult brands are special because they're not measured by some of the other common KPIs that would indicate fastest growing, most successful, most profitable, um, even in some cases, best places to work, although that is the category that we find the highest correlation. Mm -hmm. Um, Cult brands are defined by two primary attributes, what we call brand attachment and advocacy. Brand attachment deals with the emotional connection that customers and staff have towards the brand. So it's less about popularity or even like net promoter score, willingness to refer. It's that I'm bought into that brand. We Beyond just the transactional value, beyond the delivery of their goods and services, I'm rooting for them. I'm hoping for their success. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I don't just like them. I love them. They actually are a badge. They make me feel better about myself. So you think of a Lululemon or a Harley Davidson or a, or a Rolex or a GoPro and these types of brands that people just are kind of freakish about. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why we affectionately call them cults is because it seems like these people are more than just customers or like customers on steroids. Um, And then the other thing is that they're brands that benefit above normal from uh, their peers from an advocacy perspective. People talk about them. So on the customer side, that obviously manifests in what we call a non-commissioned sales force, but on the employment side, it manifests itself in likelihood to, um, they have, they spend less on headhunters. They receive an irresponsible number of unsolicited job applications. Like I remember at one point Zappos was getting 20,000 applicants for 200 call center positions. And they were more like audition tapes for American Idol. I mean, the people were doing magic tricks and making up songs and doing field trips. Like they were auditioning for the opportunity to get a job at Zappos, much like I'm auditioning to uh, take out Joel on this show. <laughs> well, you just, I mean, I think you just made a point for me because we've been having this discussion around around how marketing is really dropping the ball when it comes to the employment side, Uh, because there are so many companies. I would say the bulk of companies out there, 95% plus of the companies don't realize that candidates who also could prospectively be buying their shit and be employees are having a really bad experience applying or going through the application process, number one, going into a black hole possibly or something of that case, and really beating down the overall brand, which is why HR and talent acquisition have, they've had to fracture their own brand, create their employment brand around their experience to try to tell a story that the overall marketing brand isn't telling. So number one, there are a shit ton of leads and people that they should be making happy in marketing that are coming through this gateway, the careers gateway. Number two, they're dropping the ball by not partnering with HR and actually realizing the huge opportunity that's there. What the fuck's going on? 
Well, I disagree with you. It's not 95% are dropping the ball. We've done the research. It's actually only 93% are dropping the ball. <laughs> if we're going to talk facts, let's use facts. I appreciate you doing that for me. It's, uh, it's, three, it's three buckets, actually. I know that we've talked in the past and that you're passionate about the pre-employment group. And I agree with you. That yeah. probably is the lowest hanging fruit, particularly in categories like retail or uh, restaurants. I mean, we have a restaurant client that has a hundred percent turnover with tens of thousands of frontline staff and their servers and in their wait staff and in their uh, you know back kitchen. We could have a whole podcast discussion around that piece. So, but you figure if they're receiving and hiring tens of thousands of applicants a year, you almost have your your store traffic numbers made up just by marketing to the people, either they got the job or didn't get the job. And then there's obviously employees. I think marketers should be spending more time with employees because the data is very clear of the correlation that a hyper-engaged employee creates a hyper-engaged customer. And that doesn't have to be necessarily even a frontline employee. It could be somebody that's in the product development team or the R&D team in the back office, but they're just so committed about what they're doing. They're bringing their best self to work every day, and they're looking for excuses to have customer interactions in their personal lives. They're just they're proud about where they work and what they're working on. But then also, don't forget the alumni. There's a tremendous opportunity for marketers to go back to employees that are no longer uh, with the company. And that, you know, there's, it's kind of like, I don't know if like, uh, I haven't been divorced, knock on wood, but, you know, how do you maintain an effective relationship with your ex-wife so that it doesn't have to become toxic or bitter? In the same way, when employees choose to leave or ask to leave a company, there's a tremendous opportunity for marketers to make sure that that relationship stays positive enough that they continue to, at a, at a minimum, don't start tarnishing the brand, but at a maximum, they should remain advocates because they gave a, you know, a good part of their life and their talent to that brand. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been talking about kind of like the, the marketing aspect of this. So why, and, and let's just turn toward the gathering. It's coming up here in about three weeks in Banff, in gorgeous Banff, uh, Canada, Alberta, Canada. Why should talent acquisition and employment brand types of individuals? Why should they visit? Why should they make the pilgrimage? Why should they come? Well, it's one of the things that we, uh, it's been a pleasant surprise for us. The gathering was created to both celebrate and learn from the most cult-like brands on the planet. And we didn't script it. We didn't tell them what to say when they showed up. We just asked them to share their experiences. And brands like Red Bull or the Dallas Cowboys or Porsche or Marvel or Nintendo come and start talking. And at least a third, probably more like 40% of the speeches from these either brand lead, we call them brand leaders. Sometimes it's the CMO, sometimes it's the CEO, um, talked a lot about their culture, talked a lot about their internal engagement, talked a lot about their hiring practices. Um, so much so that we re- you know, you know, we're a little dense, but we're not idiots. And at some point we started just connecting the dots to realize that one of the key differentiators between a great brand and a good brand is how much time the C-suite is spending on people issues and uh, you know, beyond what would be traditional HR issues. So I'm not talking about wages and benefits and you know, uh, pension plans and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about engagement strategies 
uh, that get people excited. And so it was an aha moment for us. And so then we started opening up the invite list to more than just marketers or what we'd be like. I don't think many HR professionals would consider themselves a brand leader, would you? I do. I mean, that's the problem that we're seeing now. I don't think it's a problem, but I think they should be embracing those things. They should be brand leaders. They should be embracing the brand. And one of the things that I heard from Tom Herbst last year on stage from North Face was be more fucking human. That is the basis in the the central conversation that we're having around brand being around first. It has to center on employees because that has to come from the inside out. And if it's if they are not taking that stance and they don't feel like they are they are brand leaders, I think we have a problem, don't you? Well, I, I do think we have a problem, but I don't like if I was going to cold call into a business and say, can I uh-huh. speak with your brand leader? I don't think anybody's putting me into the HR department. So I think that they are brand leaders. I think they should step up and become more brand leaders, but I don't think that they use that language. You know, some of this is just semantics. I don't think the marketing team and the gotcha. HR teams even use the same, you know, language about uh what, what they do and why they do it. And so while I think there's certainly resources from the marketing side of the fence that should be deployed into the HR group, I think it's the HR group that needs to grab it and say, we can do much more than risk mitigation. You know, a lot of the HR departments I know operate more like the legal department. They're, they're about compliance and enforcement as opposed to engagement and really rallying the troops. Yeah. Well, in most of the ones that we deal with are about technology. They're about experience and they're about they're about message and brand. This is why we're having that discussion. This is why we've come together because we're looking for that bridge, right? And and I feel like last year when we came to the gathering in February that Joel and I were able to walk across a bridge and have discussions with brand leaders with CMOs with the Douglas Adkins of the world, right? The the guys the guys who have built holistic brands and understand them from the inside out community from the inside out. That's one of the reasons why we really have been putting a huge push on our listeners and all of those individuals in marketing and brand on the HR side of the house to come to the gathering or at least engage somehow. So if they can't come to the gathering, how else can they engage? Well, lots of ways. I mean, we, we continue, we meaning wearing my cult hat, um, publish content daily uh, about the, what we sometimes call the anatomy of a cult brand, how we've sort of looked at the cult brand genome. We got all sort of scientific on it, of trying to help people understand these built-in characteristics of cult brands. Uh, we've written a book. Uh, we're actually going to be launching uh, the, the newest edition. We wrote it initially four, uh, five years ago. So some of the case studies had gotten stale and some of the research needed to be updated. And the reality is it's only gotten more compelling. The world, as the world gets increasingly commoditized, and let's be honest, there's really very few things that any brands are providing that you can't get uh, somewhere else. I'd still put maybe Tesla on a pedestal of, of selling something that's somewhat unique uh, for the category, uh, but you know, a- Apple's advantage has been surpassed. Nike's advantage, GoPro, uh, uh, yeah, certainly a, a GoPro, Starbucks. Like, there's lots of places now that are selling the same things of some of our most beloved brands. But what's keeping them in the uh, you know front and center on, in the hearts, minds, and on the lips of their cult followers is their culture, is their ethos, is the uh, is the f- the lore and legend around the things that they do to uh, remain special. How much do you understand? the future of finance. 
I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Well, and again, going back to Tom Herbst at, at North Face, be more fucking human. I mean, that's that's the the, the key behind it, not focusing on uh, the boardroom. Tom is no longer the CMO of North Face. You know why? Because they moved to Boulder, Colorado. So North Face was a VF brand and was in San, uh, San Francisco for a decade. Uh-huh. And one of the things that they've decided to do to more fully live their brand is to go to where their brand enthusiasts are, which is in the footsteps of the Rocky Mountains. And so they moved the entire headquarters at tremendous expense. I think they lost, I don't know the number, I believe maybe up to half of the personnel didn't make the move, Tom being one of them, given his ties to the San But think about the boldness uh, of that decision. Part of it is an employee-based decision that Boulder just has a lower cost of living. So if you want to attract great talent, asking them to live in the Bay Area can be a hard sell. But part of it also is is if we, we want our people in the mountains on the weekend. Because if you really want to work for North Face, you better love mountain climbing. And those types of stories also like Airbnb, where they they fly everybody in to California for a week for Airbnb one, I think they call it. That's a lot of money that they're spending so that everybody's having the same experience. Those types of stories are pretty amazing. Another one and, you know, I, I almost ask you if this starts to qualify this brand, but Delta Airlines, the sixth year in a row that they've uh, they've pushed money back to their employees instead of their stockholders, one point six billion dollars they pushed back to their employees. That to me is a strong signal that, you know, they understand what actually runs this organization. And and that $1.6 billion was about two months pay. So does that send a strong signal say, hey, we should be having conversations with these guys? What do you guys look for? Yeah, it's actually, it's a really great question because it's fairly recent for us. Um, we are always, we, we actually work with IBM Watson now to help us cull through irresponsible amounts of data to try to find the symptoms of cult brands so that we can engage them in our evaluation to see who should be on the stage every year. Yeah. And we've historically not looked at that element of a business um, as a way of inciting buy-in. I mean, that's literal buy-in, that's equity ownership. And, and a couple of years ago, um, Chobani yogurt got to the top of our list because of all the media attention and some of the social listening things around them gifting a bunch of options to their factory workers. And um, so it did make us start to look at it more. There's a, there's a Canadian airline called WestJet, which is sort of like a Southwest Airlines, but with a much more emotional attachment and a different, more humane feeling to their cult brand status. And that was always one of their founding principles is that owners care more. So all of our employees 
uh, our owners as well. Um, and then more recently, we interviewed Bruce Linton. Have you had Bruce Linton on your show from Canopy? No, not yet. Although uh, hopefully we will when we come to Banff or you guys will get him, get him scheduled for us. <laughs> he became the CEO of the largest cannabis company in Canada, which makes it the largest cannabis company in the world, given Canada's progressive thinking and legislation around cannabis. But Bruce had a pretty strong opinion about uh, equity and allowing all employees into either a profit share or a stock option pool. And it created a lot of tension in the C-suite, particularly as they got bigger and bigger and you know went, went public and all those types of things. But he, he certainly was a big believer that if you want your employees to buy in, then they should be buying in the way that you expect your executives to buy in, which is uh, have some skin in the game from a equity standpoint. So we're kind of looking at it, uh, Chad. I don't think that we have a definitive answer, but it certainly anecdotally seems to make a lot of sense that that's just the next level of enlightenment and uh, a way of getting people to care more than most. Well, and you don't have to be a big name like Porsche or Marvel or Airbnb. We met uh, with James Bocher from Fiasco Gelato, who probably blew us out of our socks more than anybody else we talked to. So you don't have to be a huge brand, right? Well, James is, unfortunately, James remains an exception versus the rule. I, I wish he was the mold upon which all CEOs were cut because I really think, you know, at the end of the day, and you know, I heard the same thing from Tony Shea at Zappos. It wasn't like Tony Shea was a freak about shoes. And so we created a shoe company. I think Tony Shea was a freak about opportunity and building a company that uh, he wanted to work at. And it happened to be opportunistic to get into the shoe business. And same thing with James. I don't think James is a, you know, gelato master. Uh, he's become one. He goes to Italy and learns all the tricks of the trade. But I think what James really wanted to do was to build the company of his dreams. And so his policies from day one and the way that he uh, organized his staff, onboarded talent, treated his employees, so they became a B Corp. So it had a, a, some social good and environmental goodness into it as well. It just, I think people listen to James and like, oh, I wish I cared about my job that much, or I wish I loved going to work uh, that much. And uh, so he just did it the right way for the right reasons. He's a, he's a pretty cool cat. And again, you know, if you haven't listened to these cult brand podcasts, go to chadcheese.com uh, right below our ugly cartoon faces. It says cult brand. Uh, you can click on it and there is a bunch of knowledge that is dropped in those podcasts. So on the way out, I just got to say, this is, is this the second year in a row that the gathering has been listed on Forbes top rated must attend uh, business summits? Yeah, we were quite honored about that. In fact, it just got, just kind of got the uh, year two announced earlier this week. And uh, that's a real, that's a real feather in our cat because when, when we built the gathering, really the creative brief was most conferences suck and uh, we did particularly for more the more senior you get they kind of you know, once you get to 35 or 40 and you no longer think it's you know fun to be out partying all night and using conferences as boondoggles most leaders opt out of conferences and so we, we said so we have to create something that uh, is different which is why we didn't even call it a conference we just called it a gathering uh, and, and you're somewhat sequestered in this uh, 200 year old castle in the Canadian rock so you're not like going there because you want to hit a Vegas show afterwards or you want to go to Broadway or you want to go to a great restaurant. You're going there because you're desperate to find new ways of shifting your paradigms 
and new ways of shifting your practices so that you can reap some of the benefits. Not everybody's going to be a cult brand. The gathering is not for aspiring cult brands. The gathering is for people that want to improve their business performance through having more engaged customers and staff. And we simply use cult brands as our model or our muse of what good looks like to see what we can learn from them. And if you didn't hear that, he did say a castle. This happens in a castle at the base of the Canadian Rocky Mountains, hopefully snowy like it was last year. It is one of the most beautiful scenic events, not to mention the actual experience that you have. And one of the reasons why I think you guys did this, the the brilliance of taking it to Banff is that pretty much everybody stays. So usually we go to these events and then we have these very big speakers. They come in on stage, they do their thing, they do a book signing or whatever it is, and boom, they're gone, right? When we were there, we didn't see people leaving. They stayed. As a matter of fact, they made a weekend out of it because you're in Banff. So I think what you did here was genius. One of the reasons why, again, For- Forbes uh, said it was a top-rated, must-attend business summit. It's happening February 19th through the 21st. Uh, you can go to cultgathering.com. That's cultgathering.com. I already know that we have a small contingent. There might might be larger than what I think that are already going to be there. Joel, myself, we're going to be on stage with some heavy hitters, but there are some others who also attending. If you're not attending, you're in employer brand marketing, recruitment marketing. It's a must be show. So get there. Anything. This is this is your audition, Chris. So what do you, what would you like to say on the way out? Well, first of all, thank you for the uh, the, the strong endorsement. I, I one of the highlights of my career is having the chance to curate the uh, fifty two pieces of content. Uh, I think this year is our best lineup ever. We got fifty one of the most amazing speakers you can you can uh, think of and then somehow Chad and Joel made the 52nd spot there at the end so uh, you know nobody's perfect but we're we're batting 99% and it will be uh, an opportunity i think regardless of industry uh, we're doing more and more in the b2b space uh, every year, we're trying to get into businesses of all different sizes, startups, hypergrowth companies, Fortune 500 uh, brands, because we think that there's inspiration to be gleaned from people that are facing a variety of uh, different problems. And then just for, for your listeners, what I'm really grateful for is we need to get smarter. We, meaning the cult team and the gathering, understanding what are there barriers to some of this that we're not aware of? Are there challenges that the HR professionals are facing that are unique? that we wouldn't be exposed to coming at this problem from the marketing side. So I'm really hoping this becomes a continuous two-way dialogue where our intention is to give HR professionals more prestige, more power, more team members, more money, more creative power, more agency support, all the things that I would imagine they would want. Um, you know, that's what we're advocating and we're using the best brands in the world as proof points that that's how they're doing. And the only way you're going to get there, being in talent acquisition and HR, is to be able to engage at this level. Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time today, man. Great audition. We're going to have to see what the listeners say, but uh, at the end of this, we always say, we out. We out. This has been the Chat and Cheese Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. And be sure to check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Oh yeah, you're welcome.
You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.